All right, good morning. Great to have you here this morning. In a moment, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8. And I sent an email, but you don't always open your emails. It's a heads up that we're going to be talking about, very frankly, sexual immorality. And so it was a warning that if you'd like to bring your kids to service, uh, totally up to you. You can have those conversations this afternoon if you want to have them, or you can take a moment right now and go, oh, maybe we'll take the seven-year-old out and play on the playground. All right, heads up. Uh, While if somebody needs to do that, let me tell you about these pictures up here. Uh, A few families have launched this summer by doing backyard barbecues with their neighbors. There's a word we use here at the chapel called neighbortude. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's the attitude of Jesus towards our literal neighbors. And so uh, these folks have taken the opportunity to say, uh, we're not going to just drive by and not know our neighbors. We're going to invite them to our house because we genuinely believe in being a blessing, beginning with prayer, listening to folks, eating with folks, serving them as God gives us opportunity, and then sharing our story and God's story with them. So uh, you'll see one of the families did a whole pig, very cool, classic whole pig, apple in the mouth and everything thing, serve that to their neighbors. Uh, Another family group did it together, and the family group did all the work so that the host could spend all their minutes getting to go there, getting to know their neighbors. So uh, that's a great way to do it as a family group. And then Harmeline did it with his neighbors. And after two weeks of no rain on their street, and I think on their street alone for an hour and a half, it poured during that time. So if you need the Lord send rain, host a backyard barbecue for the sake of the gospel and you'll get some rain. All right. Got your Bibles open. First Thess chapter four. Would you stand with me? I know you just sat down and we're going to stand up again. Yeah, we're going to stand up again because we determined that the word of God was going to continue to call us through chapter four and chapter five to excel still more. In other words, to continue to grow into Christ-likeness in every facet of our life. So we want to position ourselves correctly with the Scripture. So holding your Scripture, why don't we say this together? I'll give you your cheat sheet. If I can. Hey, there we go. All right, you can read it. This is God's Word. His heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us now that it would be clearly your word growing us to be your people, that we would fill a portion of the earth that you have placed us in with your glory, specifically, Lord, in sexual purity. In Christ's name, amen. All right, grab a seat. Uh, By the way, we made these cards uh, with that prayer on it. If you want to grab one on the baskets on the way out, just a reminder, maybe every time you read the scriptures, you'll position your heart using that prayer. All right, 1 Thess 4, verses 3 through 8. Whoops. This 
is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Verse 8, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So the idea here, folks, is first and foremost, the will of God for his children is overarching. It is our sanctification. It's a word that I'm going to just briefly define because it's not a word we probably use outside of church or outside of our spiritual journey. Sanctification simply means holiness, to be set apart. So God's will for his children is that we would be holy, that we would be set apart from living like the rest of the world, thinking like the rest of the world, acting like the rest of the world. Holiness, set apart. The will of God for you is your sanctification. Now, I want to set it in its proper context on our spiritual journey. Sanctification follows justification. That is, when we trust in Jesus to be our Savior, to pay the penalty for our sin in our place, to be our substitute, that is when the penalty for sin, we are freed from it. So that we are no longer deserving, though we are deserving, we are no longer received the wrath of God. It was poured out on Jesus in our place. That's our justification. When that happens, we become a child of God, the spirit of God living in us. Sanctification is then precedes glorification, our freedom from the presence of sin. So Jesus pays our penalty. So we're set free from the penalty of sin. And when we leave this planet and leave this body, we will be free from the presence of sin. Sanctification sits between coming to Christ and going to be with Christ in heaven. It is that process, sanctification is, it's that process where we are working out the living of our freedom from the power of sin. So free from the penalty of sin through Jesus. To be with him, free from the presence of sin. Everybody in here right now who is a child of God, who has trusted in Jesus, his will for you is to increasingly grow in your freedom from slavery, the power of sin in your life, that you wouldn't live like you used to live, that you would live in the holiness that you have been given in Christ, living it out. That's sanctification. That's the big picture. That's our journey. He applies it specifically, verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. So his will is that we avoid all perversion of God's gift of sex. Now, why do I say it that way? I say to avoid all perversions of God gifts, God's gift of sex because 
Paul uses intentionally a broad word. If he wanted to say abstain from adultery, he would have used a certain Greek word. Or if he wanted to say abstain from fornication, single people having sex with other single people, he would have used a specific word. But he uses a broad word, pornea. Abstain from pornea. It's any and all perversions of what God intended sex to be for. So we have to define God's true intention, and then we can go, anything outside of that is pornea, sexual immorality. So the true intent of sex as God has given it to us is to be between one woman and one man who are husband and wife. Reality is we live in a culture where 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, that would have been simply defined. That is obviously being redefined in our current culture. But this is how God, who created sex, intended it to be applied. One woman, one man, who are husband and wife. So, sex before you're married is sexual immorality. Sex with someone other than your spouse, sexual immorality. Homosexuality, sexual immorality. Masturbation, sexual immorality. Pornography, sexual immorality. Uh, I think what happens here is Paul uses a broad word for this simple reason. Uh, the more culture deteriorates, the more versions of sexual immorality we have. See, by using a broad word, we can say in 2019, when people take pictures of their body parts and then text them to other people, not their spouse, sexting, that's sexual immorality. That's not what God intended. Uh, we live in obviously a digital world, and so, so much sexual immorality happens virtually. None of that would have been going on in Thessalonica. So he uses a broad word, and he says, anything outside of this is a perversion, and God's will is your sanctification, that you would be holy. You would be set apart from how you used to live before you came to Christ. And now you would hold sex only to be applied and enjoyed in the context of one woman, one man who are husband and wife. It's really not that complicated understanding what God intended and what is immorality. Our culture is sought to try to blur it and redefine it, but it's really pretty straightforward. One woman, one man who are husband and wife. That's God's will. Second, it's God's will for his children to not sin against other people sexually. Now, why does he go to that length? Why does he bring this up specifically? It's in verse 6. So that no man transgress, sin against, and defraud his brother in this matter. Uh, What's he saying? He's simply acknowledging that when we 
engage in sexual immorality, whatever form it is, it's never just between me and God. It's never just between you and God. Any sexual morality and all sexual morality is not only a sin against God, it always impacts another person. It's a sin against your spouse or someone else's spouse or someone's future spouse. It's a sin against someone's daughter or someone's son or someone's sister or someone's brother. Sexual sin never happens in isolation. You cannot... You cannot sit here this morning and go, hey, it's just between me and the Lord. No, it's not. When you engage in sexual immorality, you are, all, you are also sinning against someone else. And he says, abstain for it, that you would not transgress and defraud someone else in the process. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. You know what that means? We're going to see this very clear this morning. No one gets away with it. Just as you also told you before and solemnly warned you. I was really challenged by this. Paul in writing is saying, hey, when I was with you, I solemnly warned you about engaging in sexual immorality. And I thought, would Christian Family Chapel say Doug has solemnly warned them? I think I have. But to be clear, this morning will be Part of this morning will be a solemn warning. Solemn, in other words, because it's serious. There won't be like, ha, 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 hey, that's hilarious. It's a solemn warning. It doesn't tell us where he warned them from the scriptures. But it could have been a great place to go if you need a warning is Proverbs chapter 5, chapter 6, Chapter 7. So would you turn there with me, and we'll see what the warning of Scripture is regarding sexual immorality. And it's super, super clear. Chapter 5, start there, Proverbs chapter 5, and we're going to look at certain sections in each of these three chapters and see a cycle, in other words, a repeated pattern of how he warns about sexual immorality. Proverbs chapter 5, here's the warning. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, first to comment. Just pause right there. Uh, throughout Proverbs, it's always spoken of in the terms of adultery. Uh, a married person having sex with someone who is not their spouse. But the principle applies regardless of the form of sexual immorality. Whatever it is, here's the pattern. It, the warning goes like this. I don't know if you picked it up. It begins with, if you dismiss instruction. His plea is always, hey, listen, don't dismiss it. So the warning is, if you dismiss instruction or if you dismiss wisdom, 
You know what you'll do? Then you will engage in innocent flirting. In other words, he puts it in the form of the adulteress has words that are like honey, smooth oil. In other words, they sound right. It seems acceptable. We're going to see some specific examples of it in a moment. But let me translate it today. Innocent flirting. Got a bunch of navs from the Midwest right here. All right. Innocent flirting is going, hey, we're not having sex. We're just laying on the couch watching a movie. That's innocent flirting. We'll see why in a moment. We're not having sex. We're just making out. For the married folks, it's the guy who goes, we're just grabbing drinks after work. We're just talking. We just text back and forth. It's, it's nothing. We got it under control. It's the guy who goes, ah, it's not pornography. I'm just enjoying God's creation of women. It's the gal who goes, ah, it's not like I'm a fair. It's just, it's just a movie. It's just a TV show. It's just a novel. It's the innocent flirting. It's the smooth oil, the honey that you go, it's no big deal. And you do it. You tell yourself that because people have warned you and you go, ah, nah. But what does it turn? What did it say in verse four? The smooth honey, smooth oil, excuse me. The honey turns what? The end will be bitter. The end will be bitter. Hey, the the warning, we're going to see it multiple times now, but I'm telling you, everybody, 30 years tells me this, everybody thinks, no, my story is unique. My deal's different. Hate to tell you, you're not unique. You're not different. You're on the same path that is well-worn ahead of you. Lots of people have walked the path of dismissing instruction, engaging in flirting, in innocent flirting, and end up swallowing bitter pills. All right, let's see it worked out. Drop down to verse 7 of Proverbs 5, and we'll read through verse 13, 7 through 13. Now then, my son, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way where? far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Why? Is there sin in going near? No, 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 no. It's just innocent flirting. I'm just going near. I'm not going in. Uh, Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your ears to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Some of you have been down this path and you're like, wow, that sounds like divorce court before it was divorce court. You've been there. You've seen this exact thing happen. You're paying the bills right now. You know this. You could give testimony. Verse 11, and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how have I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof? I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. 
See it? If we dismiss wisdom, then we go near. We say we're not going in. We just go near. And how's it end? It ends bitter. It ends hard. Because when we sin against the Lord and we sin against others, the bill always comes due. All right? Lots of more good stuff in chapter 5. Skip to chapter 6. Verse 27. Chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Now, what's the obvious answer? No, that, that can't happen. Except how many guys have said, no, I think I can. I think I can run fast enough. I think I can get a little fire. I got it under control. I won't let it go that far. I won't let it get that hot. I won't let it stay that long. How many guys have said, no, it, it's going to be all right. I know where the line is. But you can't. His point is, if you play with fire, you get burned. When we dismiss instruction, when we dismiss wise counsel, we engage in innocent flirting and we get burned. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Verse 32, the one who commits adultery with a woman who is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. See, the, the smooth oil, you understand what I mean when I say the smooth oil? The, the lies we believe is, it won't destroy me. But I'm telling you, there's a long line of church folks who would go, yeah, I drank the smooth oil. I believed the lie. I would dismiss instruction. I went down and it's made a wreck of my life. It's made a wreck of my marriage. It's made a wreck of my family. My kids live with it. Scripture gives the warning. There's lots of really good stuff in chapter 6 about what you should do. But uh, we don't have time for that. Go to chapter 7. Verse 4 through 10. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Now, what's kind of funny is some of you go, I hate my sister. Why would I say, I, say to wisdom, you're my sister? I don't like her. That's not his point here. His point is that... She's your sister, and so because she's family, you trust her, you love her, you have an ear for her. Wisdom's my sister. Uh, and call understanding your intimate friend. See, this is not your enemy. You don't despise it. You love wisdom. You call understanding your intimate friend. That they may keep you from adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. In other words, tells you it's just innocent flirty, and it's not that big a deal. Uh, for at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive, see, the guy who isn't listening to the warning, and discerned among the youth a young man lacking sense, passing through the street. Where? Yeah, this is near, this is not, hey, I'm not even in front of her house, I'm just near her corner. Sexual immorality starts so far away from true immorality. That's why we go near. 
because we think, ah, it's a long way off. But the only reason to go near her corner is to go to her house. See, sometimes we're just lying to ourselves. We're excusing what we know we're really doing. We're excusing where we know we're really headed. But we lie to ourselves to help us get there. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. That gives it away right there. Why are you going at night? Because I actually know I'm not just going to go near her. I'm going there. You understand what I'm saying? All that, hey, we all know where it's headed when we watch a movie laying on the couch together. We know where that's heading. It's not just the more comfortable position. We know where we want this to go. So that's why we do it. When you, when you begin that relationship with the guy at work or the gal at work or with the neighbor, it may start way, way, way just near her corner. But when it moves to the darkness, it moves to, hey, you're doing it so people won't see it, so people don't know it. It's the giveaway. You know where you're going. You're just lying to yourself. Amen. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She knows what's going. What's she say? Drop down to verse 18. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. This is going to be awesome. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. What, what's she promising? You can take fire and not get burned. There's a free pass on this one. You won't get caught. You've told yourself that. We won't get caught. I can keep this a secret. My husband's not at home. He's going on a long journey. He's taking a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he'll come home. We'll, you know, we know how long we can go. We know how far we can go, and then we'll just stop. It'll be no problem. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And suddenly, now honestly, is there anything sudden about what's happened here? <laughs> no. Where did it start? It started near her house. And then it went down her street. And then it was down her street at night in secret. What's sudden? Not the buildup. What's sudden is the bitter. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. See, if the ox knew where he was headed, he would have went, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not walking down that alley. <laughs> they do mean stuff to ox down that alley. Here's the warning. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's got it, I got it under control. No, 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 no. Boom! Your world blows up. Your family blows up. Your marriage blows up. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. So, my solemn warning is this. If you despise and dismiss instruction, you'll tell yourself 
the lies that it's just innocent. It's really not a big deal. You have it under control. You know when to stop. And then it's going to get you. So I'm telling you, (laughs) the bill always comes due. What's the point of a warning? Why did Paul warn them? I mean, think about it. If you go to your neighbor's house and you walk up to the gate and it has a big sign on it, beware of the vicious dog. What's the point of the sign? The point of the sign is to make you stop. I mean, only the fool goes, huh, let me see how vicious. And then you discover. The point is, stop and turn. Don't go any further. That's the point of a warning. So these warnings that Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7 give to us, the warning that Paul gave to the Thessalonians, the warning that I am giving to you, Christian Family Chapel, is stop despising the wisdom. Stop despising the destruction. Stop believing the smooth lies of you can keep it under control. It's not going to go far. It's not going to progress. Stop. It always, you're not original. You're not unique. I hate to break it to you. You're not. It always starts from afar. It always progresses. And just when you think, oh man, we're okay. You're the ox at the slaughter. It it costs you. We're not unique. So be warned, please, to stop. You know, the reality about sexual immorality is this. You can go to family group and go, hey, pray for me. I'm I'm anxious about this. And everybody goes, oh, man, I'm anxious too. Or you can go, hey, pray for me. I'm a little scared to share my faith, but I want to share my faith. And everybody, yeah, I'll pray for you. Nobody goes to family group. Nobody goes to small group and go, hey, I'm struggling with sexual morality. Ooh. It's one of those things that everybody lives in their own little private world. And you're sitting there saying to yourself right now, Right now, I know many of you are going, I know I need to stop. I've tried to stop. I know it. I need to, but I can't tell anybody. I just got to, I got to work this out myself. That's part of the lie of the enemy is that the exposure will bring shame. And here's the truth. The truth is the lack of exposure will lock you in your shame. So what's the invitation? The warning is intended. Listen, the warning is intended to cause you to stop whatever it is immorality looks like in your life this morning that you would, whether it's in your thought, whether it's, whether it's in the privacy of the, the internet, whether it's with somebody at work, whether it's with your boyfriend, girlfriend, you've told yourself the lie, well, we love one another and we're going to get married anyway. The warning is given so that you would go, I'm going to stop. And confess to the Lord. I mean, it won't be a news flash to him. He knows it. But confession is not telling God something he doesn't know. Confession is admitting something that you 
are going, I admit it's wrong and I bring it before you. And the beauty we know is this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even if you confess last week and the week before and the week before that and the week before that and the week before that, there is not three strikes or you're out or 12 strikes and you're done. It's the lie of the enemy that says God does not want to hear your confession anymore. He does. That's the warning. There's no accidents you hear this morning. Would you pause whatever it is right now and confess? So, Father, your children here in this room, over in South, and the others watching, thank you for the warning. We confess we're prone to be the fool, to be the naive, to believe the lie and to tell the lie. Would you confess anything specific that would be true in your life right now that you know is outside of what God intended? Lord, thank you that your forgiveness does not run out that you declare your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for giving us a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you may think, oh, okay, cleansing's the end. Forgive, confession's the end. You know what? Confession actually is not the end. Confession is the beginning. That's helpful for me. You just think, oh man, confession's the end. No, confession is the, the beginning because what is God's will for us? Our sanctification, our holiness. And holiness begins with confession, admitting our sin and inviting the cleansing of the Lord, the forgiveness of the Lord. But where next? Is there any hope or is it just the dreadful repeated cycle of being the fool and going back into slipping back into old habits? Is there any hope? Actually, there is. Would you go back with me to First Thess 4? Because he talks right in the middle of this passage, the hope for how we would actually be sanctified. And I want to show it as clearly as I can to us. He says in verse 4, 1 Thess 4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, his own body in sanctification, in holiness, and honor. And he says honor because when we walk in purity, it is not only pleasing to God, it is honoring to others. It's honoring to our spouse. It's honoring to other people's spouse. It's honoring to their future spouse. In sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles, don't, don't read right by this, who do not know God. In other words, can I have your eyes? Sanctification is our hope, not just repeated failure. Growing in holiness is our hope because we know God. 
Not that we just have knowledge about God, but that we are in relationship with him. You see, when we trust in Jesus to be our forgiver, he not only forgives us, he makes us new people, and he makes us new people by granting us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, something that was not true before we were born again. And it is the Holy Spirit that is in us that defines that we are in relationship. We know God, and it's him in us that makes all the difference. Drop down to verse 8. He says, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. In other words, when we engage as believers in sexual immorality, it is an offense to the Holy Spirit who is in us. We're rejecting his rightful ownership. See, the key is this. I say, walk by the Spirit. Who is where? In you. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of your flesh. You know what I was taught as a teenager? Stop fulfilling the the desire of your flesh. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And I was like, I'm trying. And I wish somebody would have actually just said, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, do something and then that will stop. What's the do? Walk in the spirit. And so one of my deepest desires here at CFC is that you would know literally how to walk in the spirit. I went to Bible college and we didn't even have a class on walking in the spirit. And I think that's crazy. Really, that's crazy. It is the key to sanctification, to not satisfying the desires of the flesh. You and I have been on the wrong path as we've been trying to say, stop it, stop it, stop it. Don't, 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 don't. Try harder, don't. That'll never get you anywhere except to guilt and repeated bitterness. The only way you and I will ever learn to live in holiness is to do what? Walk in the Spirit. God's will is you abstain from sexual immorality and that you stop sinning against other people sexually. And third, that you learn to walk in the Spirit so that you'll not be controlled by your desires. Learn to walk in the spirit so that (laughs) it's not stop being controlled by your desires so you can walk in the spirit. It's walk in the spirit so you won't be controlled by your desires. Huge difference. So how do we walk in the spirit? Begins like this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Why? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, let me translate that for you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this this way or not, but your desires need a body. They're just desires. They're in you, but they need a body. They need a mouth. They need eyes. They need hands. They need feet to Put them into action. Your body, your desires need a body. 
And walking in the Spirit is beginning to beginning with this. My body is no longer mine. It no longer belongs to my desires. It's been bought. My body now belongs to God. So therefore, when I use my body... <laughs> to satisfy my desires, I'm stealing the God, the body that God bought through the blood of Jesus back for me. Walking in the Spirit begins by acknowledging I'm under God, I'm submitted to God as rightful owner and wise father. Don't despise instruction. Don't dismiss wisdom. I don't grow tired of doing this. Because walking in the Spirit is the key to sanctification. And walking in the Spirit begins not here. Here. Rightful owner, wise father. Second, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, Great question here, not a silly question at all. Why in the world would you consider yourself to be dead to sin but alive to God? Because you are. I'm not, I'm not being silly when I say that. That is who you are. It's not who you used to be, it's who you are. But we have so long lived like who we used to be, controlled by our desires, that we fail to consider who we now are, owned by God. He's my wise father. So my desires don't get to use this body to satisfy themselves. I submit myself to God as owner, rightful owner and wise father, and then I consider my true identity in Christ. And when I say that, I hope you... If you've been around the chapel at all, if, if you're new, boy, we say this a jillion times. Who am I? What's my identity? I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. That's my identity. That's who I am. It's not who I used to be, but it's who I am. And so sexually, I don't live as I used to, a court controlled by my lustful passions because my lustful passions need a body and my body has been bought. And therefore, I don't give it back to my lustful passions. See, desires need a body. When your stomach growls, what's it saying? Feed me, right? But it's like, God, I got to have some, fan, so some hands and I got to have a mouth. I, 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 those desires need a body. And your sexual desires are stronger than your hunger desires. And they're going to demand to be met. But they need a body to be met. And that body no longer belongs to you belongs to the Lord, a wise father. So when I'm tempted to engage in innocent flirting, 
It's not who I am. I'm a child of God, forgiven, set free from slavery to sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. Therefore, what do I do? It says it right there in Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness. Don't go on doing that because that's who you used to be. But it's not who you are anymore. Your body doesn't belong to you to satisfy your desires. Your body belongs to the Lord. Therefore, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. That's who you are. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You get it? An instrument, right? It all depends who you give it to, depending on what it does. If you give it to me, you want me to play you a song? Probably not. I'm holding it upside down. That should be a clue. (laughs) You give it to its rightful owner, and it becomes an instrument for which it was given. Your body's an instrument. And either you allow it to be presented to God who has bought you and loves you and is not robbing you, but blessing you by the warning, stop. The end is bitter. The end is ugly. Stop. You don't need to find out for yourself. Stop. You present your body to God. When your desires demand, feed me, please me. In that moment, you either know I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God. Or you go, yeah, I'll take that body back now for the next 30 minutes. So we submit, we consider, and then we present our body to its rightful owner. We submit our body to be an instrument of righteousness. We belong to him. So walking in the spirit, submit, consider, present. Now, Let's be clear. Am I, am I suggesting that if you do this every time, uh, that this will always work? Absolutely, I am. Thank you. Absolutely, I'm suggesting that because Galatians 5.16 does not say, walk in the spirit and you won't satisfy the desires of your flesh as much. Doesn't say that. What's it say? Walk in the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of your flesh. This is not, hey, try this. This might work a little better. This will, if you will, it will always work. And when we engage in sexual immorality, it's not because walking in the spirit didn't work. It's because either we bailed out from under, stopped submitting, or 
We failed to, in the moment of temptation, identify who we now are, and we act like we are who we used to be. And when we think of ourselves that way, then we just present like we always did, our bodies to satisfy our desires. It's not who I am. Great news, folks. You have all that you need. I have all that I need to live in purity. I genuinely do. Would you stand with me? You remember how Paul ends this letter? He gives what you and I would think of as a benediction. I'm going to declare it to you. And then you and we together will declare verse 24 out loud together. This is the hope that we go out with in Jesus. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we declare together, faithful is he who calls us, and he also will bring it to pass. God bless.